Let's go back to 2011. Look at the World Cup with Squidge. Let's go back, oh baby, let's go back with Squidge. Hello and welcome to the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective and I want to begin this episode by giving a massive shout out to the woman in the corner shop opposite me who just gave me 10p off my milk. I don't know if she listens but this feels like the only way I can possibly thank her. Thank you very much and welcome to this episode on Japan against Canada. Hang on, are we sponsored by that corner shop or... Uh, No, we're sponsored by the woman who gave me 10p off my milk. Okay, there are other women available just so we know. What, that is very, very lots of Lalio. Um, <laughs> shall we? Shall we introduce ourselves quickly? Okay, I'm not Lawrence Delalio. My name is Will Owen. Great, welcome. Um, I am your brother. Some people will call me Robbie. Damn right, Some you're people... my brother. I'm not your brother. You're my brother. I'm the main guy. I... Okay, you know I'm say In the this. next episode, the next episode we don't have a guest on. Can I do the intro bit? Do you want to do the intro now? Do you want to do the intro for this one? Okay. Uh, welcome Let's to... Let's do it now. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. <clears throat> hold on. No, I need to do the... I need to... Hold on. We need to play the... In- the... Let's go back to... Yeah. Welcome to the Rugby World Cup 2011... Oh, shit. What's this podcast called? Welcome to the Rugby World Cup Squidge... Welcome to the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective. My name is Will Owen and joining me is... Um, Sean Webb, Japan fullback. <laughs> Japan fullback Sean Webb. And today we're going to talk about the match from the Rugby World Cup 2011, which was in the 2011 Rugby World Cup, which took place between Canada and Japan. The match finished twenty. Wait, the game, wait, sorry, the game took place in the ocean between Canada and Japan. <laughs> yes, it did. It did. It <laughs> they was just played the midpoint. full match on. Yeah, yeah they so just like, found if it. If you go onto Google Maps and enter the coordinates of Japan and Canada, mm-hmm. and then you find the exact midpoint between the two, that's exactly where this match was played. I am currently looking this up. Amazing. Uh, I have made six typos. The distance between the two is two thousand three hundred sixteen point seven nine miles. So the exact halfway point between these two would be Annie Dyer in Russia. Okay, that's where this match was played. <laughs> the rest of the World Cup took place in New Zealand. However, uh, this <laughs> at this point they moved to Annie Dyer in Russia. They had to find the most neutral venue possible for a huge game like this. So is it just like empty land at that point? What what's there? Is the Anything I don't know. Let's find there? out. Let's find out yeah. what's going on in Anidar in Russia. So it is a town on the furthest tip of the peninsula by a big load of water. What goes on in Anidar? I can tell you the result of their elections in the last year. Okay, who won? <laughs> Putin, obviously. <laughs> oh no! Seven. Not again! Okay, so the oh, three most famous people to come out of there, right? Okay. We have Valery Tokarev, the okay. cosmonaut, who is also the referee for this game. Yeah. Um, we have the touch judge, uh, Diamond Dazuban, the former Diamond Archbishop Dazuban. of Antioch. Wow. Yeah. Diamond Dazuban, sorry. Oh, I think um, Who's the former bishop of this town, who has his own Wikipedia page, so fair play to him. And Roman Abrahamovich who is an oil oligarch who owns Chelsea FC. 
Wow! Fair play! <laughs> and he was at this match. Oh, he's the touch judge, you say? He was the touch judge, yeah. yeah they were yeah. like, so, what's the most dignifying thing we can do for this massively rich Russian guy who owns Chelsea? It's we make him the touch judge for Canada against Japan. This exact midpoint, the exact point that it goes on. Yeah. What, what exactly is that looking at? I just know it'll be in that town. So it, oh, okay. I believe it's... I can Oh, I can find it on a map. So the exact midpoint is here. Okay, so it's just a random bit of land. It's a random bit of land in Russia. Okay. So it's out there towards... So it's on the edge of that town. Okay. Fair play. Thank you for showing me that. You're welcome. Anyway, so (laughs) we're looking at the match which took place... Oh, The Canadian rugby team... Anadaya. ...played against the Japanese rugby team in a match of rugby... (laughs) Uh, yep. which ended 23 points to 23 points. So 23 all was the final score. And would you not agree that this game was a bit of a banger? I Absolutely. I think this is the top five games from the the, really? the World Cup we've looked at so far. Can I also point out, right, the exact distance between Canada and Japan is 23,000 miles. It would be rounded off to. 23. 23 all. The distance is 2,316. Oh. You round that down. To twenty three thousand. Wow. There's there's something in the air here. This isn't a coincidence. Because the interesting thing about this game as well is it's one of these things. Like Ireland always go out in the quarterfinals, and if they always finish third in their pool, Canada and Japan in the Rugby World Cup have always drawn. Neither team has ever beaten the other. They've drawn yeah. every match they played at the Rugby World Cup, <laughs> which um, frankly is never going to happen again. <laughs> that exactly, and it's one of those things. It's sad because it's now it's now done. It's now over. Yeah, because Japan are too good and Canada are too not good for it to, That's it to fall that way again. This was the final game of Japan not being really really good at Rugby World yeah. Cup, which is weird to think because like later on in this podcast episode we will have. Japan's leaving party, I presume, after mm. the Namibian last week. Of course. And we're saying goodbye to these, this era of Japan pre-Eddie Jones, before, and Jamie Joseph, you know, after that, yeah. before they became actually genuinely good, and not even in a patronising way, but like actually world-class. Like They're two World Cups away from just dominating a pool with Ireland and Scotland at this point. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because you look at this team, and they're a good tier two nation. Their next and you're thinking... World Cup match, they beat the Springboks. Like, you're thinking they have the potential to kick on from here and become a team who push where Scotland were at the time or where yeah. Italy were at the time. Like what Fiji you know. Yeah. Like, when, when a few years down the line, when they improve enough to beat Italy, Italy's kind of second 15. Sure. You kind of go, oh, okay, that's cool. That's good. That's the furthest lit. Or they beat Wales's third 15. Sure. With, you know, like... Players no one's heard of actually now playing when you look back on it. Yeah. Um, Andres Pretorius starting the game being one of, of Wales' best players. Yeah. yeah. Though our Lord and Saviour Lloyd Williams was playing. Of course, Wales' best attacking nine. <laughs> yes. The future of Welsh rugby. The future of the Lions, frankly. Oh, man, it could happen. It could happen. We're going to end up with Ali Price starting and Lloyd Williams on the bench. I'm here for um, it. Me too, me too. And I just want, like, I don't know, like Danny Care as the first scrum Haha, <laughs> Ben Spencer. <laughs> so, anyway, so, um, rugby. Um, I've completely forgotten the point I was making. It was something about Canada. Oh, Japan, yeah, because it was kind of like these two countries were heading in opposite directions. Yeah. That Canada had been one of possibly the biggest threats amongst the tier two nations for a few years. Sure. And they kind of built to the point in which this team was, other than, I guess, the 
the Samoa who were fantastic and to yeah. Samoa in that kind of there's always one tier two nation who are kind of basically a tier one yeah, team yeah. at any given point and yeah. It, yeah it changes and at the moment it's Japan but you feel like Japan will actually kick on and yeah. stand oh, up for sure they in are. that way yeah. like I'm I'm 90 plus percent confident that's going to be yeah no I think they're a tier one nation now yeah whereas often you have a tier two team will just have a burst of form or they'll have a crop of players that come along and they all hit their peak at around the same time for sure uh, like it's happened with Fiji in the past it's happened with Samoa around this World Cup and they're very unlucky not to get the pool with Argentina before that Italy once yeah. Canada were kind of roughly of that you know they were one of the yeah, better tier sure. two teams and they built you know because obviously they made it out of the pool in 91 and this was possibly their best team since I think I think that's a fair comment I think that mm. in terms of the balance across the park I mean we've discussed it in the previous episodes with Canada when they pushed France when they they beat Tonga man like that's a really yeah. big result and obviously, you know, they must have left this World Cup probably disappointed not to win the final game because yeah. I think, frankly, they this team should have beaten Japan at this point. Which <laughs> they won their final game was against the All Blacks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, true. I, no, I did. So this is interesting, actually, because the, all three T2 nations in this pool can qualify for the following World Cup, uh, can hit that third spot, which gives you automatic qualification. Mm-hmm. Canada, at this point, were the only one who could, well... Tonga could if they beat France, which is ridiculous. It would never happen. <laughs> yeah. If Canada beat the All Blacks, however, they would have qualified. Mm, fair play. If they won this game and then they and beat hey, the All Blacks, hey, they had to qualify. It's not our place to kiss and tell. We're not going to give any spoilers of what happens later on in this tournament, okay? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Uh, I mean, you know, if there may be eventual captain in that game, Dan Carter, pulls through, I'd imagine that the All Blacks will yeah. be able to come through and win that game. But hey, I'm sure it'll be fine. You'd think. He's going he's gonna to remain fit the whole World yeah. Cup, surely. Yeah, no surely. chance. I can't see any chance that he's going to get injured. Like, no. it's just... We keep talking about it, but I just... I can't, I can't see nah. anything. It's going to be fine. So, should we run a, run through the lineup? Look at the two teams. Sure. Because they are... Both teams have got absolutely all out to win this. Japan yeah. haven't won a World Cup game since 1991. Uh, yeah. Canada haven't made it out of the group or had kind of, you know, like a run of three wins since 1991. And both teams are out to kind of have their best World Cup since 1991. One, uh, which is quite a long time, 20 whole years. For sure. You know, there's a lot of these players that were watching that on TV as a kid with the last time, you know, when Japan won a game here or yeah. for Canada since they, they had kind of a good World Cup rather than they maybe beat one team they're expected to. Yeah. So both teams went absolute what they would consider their strongest 15s and went entirely all at it. Yeah. Japan in particular, I think they're like in football when you go all out attack, you know, and just... You just push mm. all your defenders up. That's effectively, Japan did the rugby equivalent of that. Yes. And they weren't scared to play from their own trial and stuff. And I really like the way Japan played in this game, actually. And as well, of course, in the uh, their previous game against Tonga. Mm. I'm really liking the brand of rugby that started to develop for Japan here. And it's not the same as what they started playing in 2015 or even 2013 when you know they played against Wales. But mm. I think this, their phase play... and their persistence to, I'm sure we'll talk about this, go to the blind side a lot was something which is quite interesting to be nostalgic about that because them going one way and then the other in 2019 is such a like trademark Japanese thing. Whereas yeah. that, at this point, it's kind of like, it's there's a thought there, but we're not entirely sure where it's going. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because they were so reliant on the blind side. They spent so much time looking down that blind side. Yeah. And I guess we'll get onto it with the, the first try, the yeah. Horio try. But it comes from them just going down the blind side repeatedly. Yeah. And because, as you do, you put one man on the blind side 
when the Rucks near the touchline, and Japan just went, hold on, we could exploit that. So they put like two or three men on the blind yeah. side where there was no space and just really targeted. It yeah. was really interesting and it worked pretty consistently. And that's the thing. Granted, the handling skills weren't quite as good as 2015 or 19, so they couldn't yeah. always exploit overlaps down there, but they'd quite often find a weak shoulder or anything. And let's skip to it. I know we're skipping ahead a little bit, but Horier's, <laughs> yeah. Shota Horier scores a try in the first 10 minutes of the game where he mm. does that. He, he's exactly like He just finds a weak shoulder of a player by standing on the blind side. And frankly, you're going to find mismatches there, putting hookers against wingers. At this point, you know, yeah. nobody cared about distribution of forwards. And frankly, if you, you know, if you stood on the wing, you're most likely being marked by a winger at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And so putting one of your biggest, and he's a very skillful player, Horier as well, and even was back then, it's it's a mismatch. Yeah. I was wondering this. Do you think any hooker over the last three World Cups has played more minutes than Shota Horier? Oh, I doubt it. I doubt it. Because he, he plays to at least 72 minutes in every yeah. single one of Japan's games. He starts every game, he plays all of them pretty much the entirety, and you you really feel... For, you know, whoever they've had on the bench over the three World Cups. Yeah. You know, Aoki in this one. Yeah. And it's just always been unfortunate that they've never got game time at yeah. World Cup. And I'm pretty sure that when Aoki did make it on in this World Cup, and I can't remember, maybe he was still the replacement hooker in the next World Cup? Or was it Kizu by that point? I can't remember. But uh, whoever it was, I'm pretty sure when he came on, Horio Juju moved the back row. He did a couple of times, yeah. Yeah. So... So like, they actually brought him off against the Springboks because they went... Mm. No, we should probably keep Michael Leach on. Yeah. And this Maffy chap's going okay. Yeah. But yeah, so he did a lot of time in the back row as well, Horier. Yeah. What a player and, shot at Horier, man. Yeah. That's the thing, like, the only other contenders I can think of, one of them's Rory Best, who, you know, captain, whatever. Yes. He's he's decent yeah. one. And the other one's Augustine Creeper, who's always had a good hooker that's either first or second choice for him. So, yeah, because Montoya started a few games in 2019, and yeah. obviously Ledesma started over him in 2011 for much yeah. of it. Um, whereas Best again had well. Best had other contenders in around him, you know. Yeah. Cronin and the the like. Yeah. All were hanging about. And frankly, he's been too good not to rest against tier two teams. Whereas Japan, yeah. when they've been climbing, haven't really had that as an issue, you well, know. The other contender, I guess, is someone like Miyalami who played right to the final every game, whereas Ireland won't have so. that because he only played the quarterfinals every time. <laughs> Oh, our Irish listening figures are dropping by the minute. <laughs> it's, it's it's fine. It's fine. They're doing, you know, if they're Munster fans, they can be delighted. They always do one better and only make a semi-final. Um, so the Canadian team, to touch on that. So we've, we, no, we haven't really talked about the Japanese 15, have we? Uh, Tupayeli and Ryan Nicholas start together. These two centres who have shown that they can't pass in the World Cup. Yeah. And both of them sort of get away with it. Yeah. I think Ryan Nicholas has a good game. He's I think Tupayeli has a really remains, good game, yeah. Tupayeli remains massive and he loses the ball in contact alarmingly often but he is massive Tupayeli lasts about 10 minutes in this game before going off injured yeah. I think he, he I think he's his knee or something but he makes two busts where he totally ignores an overlap and makes a bit of a break from it in his time on the field yeah. one of them leads to the Horier try that we're on about and then he's replaced by Bryce Robbins who yes. came on and I was like oh my god he was still playing at this point and it turns out that was his first test match in over a year and yeah. he'd basically not really played since the 2007 World Cup. Do you know why you? Do you know how he ended up coming in? Go on. It was a white baiting style incident. No. Japan had a player get injured, and he'd come back to visit his family in New Zealand during the World Cup because right. he's originally a Kiwi, and so he was in the local area. He is a man who's recently bought a house <laughs> in the local area, um, and so he, the you know John Kerwin as the coach just went. Wait a minute, he's nearby. He he. 
he, he could have a go. He's qualified for us. Fair so play. just called him up because it saved flying someone over from Japan. So he just drove because he was like 20 minutes down the road. So they, they call old Bryson. He comes on and has a blinder. Did like the Geography 6. Fair play. Exactly. He yeah, is no, a Geography 6 player. He's the Tom Court gambit. Yeah, him coming on the centre, which isn't his normal position. He's usually a fullback. Mm. But him coming on and forming the centre partnership with Nicholas. Nicholas looks so much more comfortable playing with him than Tupaele or even um, yes. Tyera in the first game. But no, those two as a centre partnership were balling, for want of a better word. Yeah. And whenever I see B. Robbins on the on the team sheet, I think it's Baskin Robbins. <laughs> I just think he's going to give me some great frozen yoghurt. <laughs> um, opposite him, in the Canadian team, again, Canada picking their strongest team from, yeah. as I say, probably the best Canadian team I've seen in my in my time. For sure. Because I wasn't yeah, born for the no 1991 World Cup. They have the Titanium 10, Andy Monroe, back at 10. They have Phil McKenzie and Dietrich van der Merwe both in. Both of them. Their blonde highlights, wearing orange boots. Yeah. Um, you love to see it. Ryan Smith wins his 50th cap in this game. Which, yes. Okay. Yeah. We, we, Ryan we Smith has 50 caps. Yeah. He was, he was good. He was solid. Yeah, he I wasn't so. a 50 cap player, but he no. was like, he was good. Max Evans comes in on the wing. Max However, Evans. James Pritchard. Max Evans. Yeah. Bing bong, bing bong. Bing bong. Comes in on the wing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Matt Evans, Gate, um, yeah. who had spent a year at the Dragons played about twice. I remember knocked the ball on from a high ball against Connacht and basically didn't play again, um, <laughs> which is a hell of a career. Then started for them on Rugby Challenge. I remember Jason Tovey being annoyed about it on Twitter. Oh, yeah, yeah. He started at centre for the Rugby Challenge. I yeah. I don't know I remember that. I remember him and, what was his name? Played um, Matthew something. He was a good winger, but he was always injured. Oh, no. Matthew Putner. Um, Matthew Putner, yes. Matthew Putner and Jason Tovey being really passive-aggressive Why about Matt Evans on Twitter. This? Why Matt Putner, he was a good solid player. Yeah, he was all right. He'd have like he'd have like fifteen caps for Canada. Why are we t- why are we talking about Matt Putner and the rugby world? Anyway, uh, to be fair, we're still talking about rugby, so it's it's a start, right? <laughs> but I didn't. Should we talk about films? We haven't talked about films for a while. No. Okay. Um. So yeah. let's. So and at fullback they had James Pritchard, kind yeah. of very much a veteran, goes on playing five World Cups, etc. Um. However, there's a moment quite early on when off a line out. James Arledge, a 10 for Japan, plays yeah. a really good grubber through, like Smart, takes all properties of the line, it's then drops it in. Like the Canadian defence have really rushed up on him and there's so much space behind. Yeah. And Pritchard really boldly sprints up and dives for it and takes a head right to the knee. Expect nothing less of him, but my God, that was unfortunate, wasn't it? And he yeah. goes off for whatever the equivalent of an HIA was in 2011. I think they kind of yes. tried to play it off as a blood bin. And he comes back on briefly and then he doesn't know where he is. So he has to come off again for Connor Trainer. Yeah, and they move Evans to fullback. Yeah, um, he doesn't look good at all. Like, because he comes back on, and you figure, oh, okay, he must passed his equivalent of a HIA, yeah, um, which didn't exist at the time, and he just can't look at things. He struggles, and you've got listen. like Andy Monroe has taken over the goal kicking and is missing from between the posts because he's yeah. just too solid. Like he's he's lamping it into the post because he's as I said, just made of titanium. Yeah. And then James Pritchard, however, can't even see those posts because he's so dazed yeah. from having taken a massive knee to the to the face. It's testament to the sort of player he is he, when he takes that ball, isn't it? Yeah. I think I think it's um uh, Ryan Nicholas who right, okay. knees him accidentally, obviously. It's a complete you know yeah. it's a very unfortunate incident. 
it was a very half-penny bit of full-backing. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? I would do anything to, to, to make sure this ball is protected. Yes. And it's great. Like he, oh. But it kind of adds to this game because everyone is stepping up and doing stuff. You know, sure. there is... Yeah. Like I'd watched, I mentioned last week, I watched quite a lot of this game back for the Japan video I did um, a couple of months ago, or a month ago, yeah. whenever it was. I've lost track of time completely. But I watched kind of extended highlights, or like 20 minutes. But the, the game is basically an 80-minute highlights package. Yes. Yeah. A really properly entertaining game that yeah. everyone seems to be making breaks all the time. And for the first half hour, I kept noting down whenever there was a break and making notes on it. And I just gave up because there's too many of them. Yeah. And the, the great thing is that both teams have clearly really figured out how to break down each other's systems. Mm. And Japan do it over a series of phases, whereas Canada always do it basically our first or second phase. Um, yeah. Japan's phase play is lovely in this. And as I say, it's the start of what you know we've learned to love about Japan. But Canada... I mean, the Canadian backline, as you said, DTH, Phil McKenzie, James Pritchard, it's it's a pretty dangerous backline. And a Monroe. We'll, yeah, yeah, of course. We'll talk about the first try, which was scored off mm. first phase. Well, I mean, before that, well, there was... Yeah. Uh, yeah, go on. Yeah, so right off a Canadian line now, it's kind of overthrown a bit. It bobbles around yeah. at the back. And Carpenter at eight kind of recovers it and drops it off to uh, Ryan Smith, who's picking quite a nice line in the field. It's a lovely angle, angle, yeah. It's, and you think that's a really good crash ball line. And then as he's taking contact, he pops it again to DTH van der Merwe, who's hitting another line off him. It's really lovely because it's, it's, it's completely kind of... It's a lovely piece of, of like, touch rugby, isn't it? You know, as you're hitting the line, people closing in on you, you then release the ball and find somebody's in more space. It's lovely. And DTH has a great run for the line. It's clearly improvised because both players, both Carpenter and Smith, kind of the ball bobbles a bit and he doesn't quite do what they want it to. But it's clearly three players who understand how each other plays so well. Yeah, for sure. They can read each other and read exactly what they're doing. Absolutely. Vandermeer then picks such a clean line that he completely splits the Japanese defence. And it's like, the thing it reminds me of is the Emily Scarrett try against France from earlier this year. Yes. Where she picks that line of Amber Reid. And then she just kind of has to hair it between because she's gone through so cleanly. Yeah. She's then got the two in, I guess, the two French cover and here the two Japanese cover are both coming across on a pincer in on her. Yeah. And there's then a ankle tap on on him by Tupayeli. Uh, I'm not making a gender, it's not Stevie Nicks. It's by, um, it's by Sean Webb, actually. Sean Webb does something. Of course, so Webb, yeah. I, I crossed out Tupay and wrote Sean Webb because I just saw a bald head and yeah. it must be. Sean yeah, Webb. Yeah, it's Sean Webb, so you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So Webb angle taps him and he stumbles and he begins to get up. Uh, and then Onozawa, the winger who's tracked across as well, who's frankly, like DJ has quite a head start on Onozawa to say yeah. he stopped still and Onozawa did really well to catch up with him. DJ goes to fend and Onozawa pulls him, yeah. Onozawa pulls him back by his arm. And yeah. he then DJ goes to ground the ball it's and really it's inches short. Like if if he'd just taken the hand off and just pulled him down, he would have scored. Yeah. But because Onozawa drags his arm back using his hand off against him, he can't finish it. He knocks it on. For some reason, Canada get the scrum. I've got genuinely no idea why. Let's talk about this. So the referee goes to the TMO. The referee, who asks... is Jonathan Kaplan, who has unfollowed me since the last time we talked about him. Really? On Twitter. He has, yeah. So do you think there's a chance he's heard our podcast? I don't know. I don't know if it's something else I tweeted that he just went, I, I don't like this guy. Hey, that's my bad stuff having my Jonathan Kaplan impression. Huh. Fair play. But yeah, or he might have just gone, he might have listened to it and gone, no. That's funny. 
I don't know if, like, in the tweet about the podcast, we spoke about Jonathan Kaplan as a... Uh, uh, should have tagged him. We'll get him on as a guest and ask him why. Or anyway, maybe he listened to a different episode and just heard us going about Steve Walsh all the time. That's true. And He's thought, gorgeous. well, why aren't why aren't they talking about me? Yeah, and a quite old South African man who is a bit racist. Why aren't they talking about me being gorgeous rather yeah. than the most handsome man on earth? True. But yeah, he refers it to the TMO and asks, "Try <laughs> yes or no," knowing it's not a try. And the TMO goes, "Well, no, it's not a try." And he goes, okay, thanks. Because we know when he asked, try yes or no. Yeah. He meant, tell me, what, tell me, is this knocked on or is it held up? What is it? And the TMO isn't allowed to comment at this point in 2011 on things yeah. that don't happen within the try Over zone. the try line. Over the yeah. try line, yeah. Isn't in so, the act of scoring or over the try line. Sure. So DCH knocks it on just before, like inches before the try line. And so the TMO is not allowed to tell him that, which is a really fucking stupid you, directive back I, then, wasn't it? It's a stupid. Do you remember the the infamous Morgan Stoddard try that was disallowed against Ulster? Oh, remind me of this. Where so it's late on in the game between the Scarlets and Ulster. If the Scarlets win it, I think they qualify for the playoffs. I think it's right at the end of the season, and it's like mm-hmm. so. It's like a big game. It's like the winner gets fourth spot or something in the playoffs. And Morgan Stoddart, or someone gives a pass. Morgan Stoddart drops it just before the line. It then bounces, having hit his hand. He regathers, dives over, scores. The referee then goes to the TMO. It was a Scottish referee playing his like second game, and he never refereed again after this because he had a pretty bad game. Wow. Um, or he might have done one, but it was pretty much he was cut off after this. Yeah. And the the TMO then says it was knocked on before the line, so the referee gives mm-hmm. a scrum when the TMO wasn't allowed to comment on what happened before right. the try line. So that all of these Scarlet fans and all of Scrum 5's kind of the punishment that weekend was all about how this decision was incorrect. It was like, no, but Morgan Scarlet did knock the ball before the try line. Not a try. Just, yeah, because it was like, on food decision is try or whatever. Yeah. So all of the comments about this, no one said this law is stupid. He knocked the ball on the right decision was made. It was, no, it should have been a try because the the TMO wasn't allowed to say that. Do you remember the one with um, Jimmy Cowan and Israel Dagg scoring against the Springboks? Israel Dad gave a forward pass to Jimmy Cowan. Yes. The referee said, Is there any reason I can't give this try? And the TMO just sort of says, There's no problem of the grounding or anything. The grounding. And then the the referee says, Is there anything before the try line that you have that you can tell me? Like yeah. the TMO's in trouble. What tell me, why can't I award this try? And he says there was a forward pass. He says, Thank you. And then disallows <laughs> the try correctly. Yeah. And like it was the it was the correct thing to do. And the TMO fessing up and breaking the rules was the correct thing to do because this is yeah. a fucking stupid directive. <laughs> it's it's one of those things that when it changed you went, Well yeah. Yeah, yeah. why was that the case in the first I know it's the idea is they don't want it to become calling everything back as happening kind of twenty fifteen sure. and so on. But at the same time <laughs> Like no, no, you should be allowed to comment on the knock on and inch out from the try line. Yeah, yeah, it's a really stupid idea to not allow them to. Anyway, I'm <laughs> glad that they've for fixed whatever that reason, now. for whatever reason, Canada are given the scrum. They yeah. kind of mess it up on the oh, first yeah. go, or they they can't. Hubert Biden's who's never scored a try for Canada up until this <laughs> point, despite playing a billion times and having an incredible beard, is held up over the line. They get another scrum five that this time was rightly awarded. Yeah, and then. What happens? What takes place, William Reese Owen? They give the ball to DTH van der Merwe with his shock of blonde hair, and Kasuki Endo just kind of runs up and tries not to tackle him. It's weird, isn't it? Like, he is, he sort of just puts his arms out in like a, no, stop, come back. Yeah, exactly. 
like, <laughs> no, DDH just scores. Like, you know on rugby video games, when you run into a player, it just automatically tackles them. Kazuki Endo yeah. thinks that's going to happen. It's like, no, 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 <laughs> yes. you have to actually wrap your arms around him, put some force into it, and pull this man who spends a lot of time in the gym, I will add, to the floor. <laughs> but instead, no. No, if I just stand near enough to him... It will, Maybe he like, will oh. fall over. <laughs> he was like, wait, no, hold on. I was... I tried to walk through a wall last night. I realised I'm not a ghost. Therefore, he can't walk through me. Like, no, but he can knock you over and run past you. It's it's bizarre. Um, mm. It's a very strange decision by Webb. I'm not still... No, by Endo, I'm still not sure what he's trying to do. But yeah. Because well, it's so simple. They literally just pass it to DTH van der Merver and he scores. Yeah. That is their set move. Which yeah. worked for them a few times, in fairness. But it's so easy... Yeah, and it looks so easy as well. And you kind of watch it back, and you go, "There must be some trick play going on." And it's like, "No, it's just a shit tackle." Yeah, exactly. Which is crazy thing that happened in the literal World Cup. Like, you remember the um, Quade Cooper scored a try at the Aviva Stadium against Ireland a few years ago, where he just gets the ball on first phase as the ten normally, and there's enough deception going off mm. that that entire Irish team just drift off him, and he just walks <laughs> straight through. Do you think yeah. it's something like that? But no, 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 no. Bro just couldn't tackle him. <laughs> there's no deception there's nothing there's just they pass it to the man in the 13 channel who is their number 13 who runs at his op- just outside his opposite man in fairness like he doesn't run directly at yeah. him nothing and yeah scores. easy enough yeah. but also it's DJ Vandem over and yeah. he is an incredible finisher an incredible try scorer yeah and he takes it under the post having scored this try like before the scrum is even finished like all the fours still have their head down. And it's another thing I loved about this game is that because both teams' scrums, because they played the All Blacks, France, and Tonga previous to this, both teams' scrums were so used to being battered that they just got the ball out straight away. Yes. It was an entire game of Channel One ball. Like they just went, no, in and out, in and out, in and out. We can't take any risks. But like one of them had to be on top. And that's the thing, like, neither team knew how to prepare for winning scrums, like, fairly cleanly mm. like neither of them had moves where you know the eight would pick it up and pop it to the nine or anything like that none of that was happening because it was just, they were just so grateful for the ball that they didn't want to do any trickery <laughs> off the back of it japan did a few times japan yeah. had a few of those kind of trademark things whether yeah fumi will run something off sure nine or whatever off, off eight rather um but yeah, i know what you're saying it was kind yeah. of both of them look quite shocked they by how well this well piece was going moves. yeah yeah exactly yeah uh speaking of line out moves the second try Oh, no, it's the third try, isn't it? It's half-time. Yeah. The, the one on half-time, Kazuki Endo's sure. try. Endo himself, having been horrendously embarrassed on that score, yeah. then very almost scores in the corner. Yeah. Like, it, it should have been a try, really. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. 
Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. So, well, we'll talk about the build-up to this. So there's okay. a point where um, Nicholas and Robbins do this lovely switch of a counter-attack, and then mm. Robbins feeds it back out to Nicholas, who has a nice little fend down the wing. Japan score a penalty, then Nicholas gives away a penalty straight away on the restart, which is really frustrating. So they, they trade penalties, basically. Oh, no, they don't, actually, because Monroe misses because he can't kick. Uh, Olive yes. to clear it downfield. And then they have this lovely attack, well, sorry, yeah, where Robbins makes this break from his own 22. Arledge gives this lovely pass to Hatakiyama, who has a nice run. And then Sean Webb finds himself in, in some space. And he dumps yes. the ball to Onozawa really selfishly, just because he wants to finish it well, I can't think of any other reason why he does it. It's worth saying, this starts on the Japanese line. Japan's Sean yes. Tool recovers the kick that comes off the post. Yeah, and Chancho Tool had a really interesting game because he was he very up and down. Yeah. Like he was when he was good, he was great, but when he was bad, he was just yeah, very bad. You saw why the Ospreys dropped him. You know, you saw why the Ospreys signed him. And you also saw why they dropped him after two games. Yeah, it kind of it all it all made sense. So yeah, he regathers the kick off. He's the only player following up. He regathers the kick perfectly off the off the post. Yeah. Uh, Japan then turn it over right away, mm-hmm. and they decide to spread it from their own try line. They get up to about halfway. The ball slows down massively. Fumi just decides we're just going to sit about here. You know, he plays a few phases and then decides, nah, it's time. And they start spreading it again. And they then start making loads more meterage until we get that overlap with, as you say, Sean Webb, who just isn't interested. No, he dummies and goes himself, even though it was like Onazar was unmarked outside him and like yeah. is not a world class finisher, but at this point, he would have had a very good shot of finishing that try, let's say. Did you, I don't know if you heard the stat Justin Marshall gave. Oh, what was that again? But, so between 2007 and 2011, uh, the top try scorer in the world was Shane Williams. Second was Kikitani, the Japan number eight, and third was Onizawa, That's this winger. really impressive to have those two. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Sean Webb dummies to him instead of giving this guy a shot at the try line because I would have fancied his chances to, you know, yeah. at least get close. But Webb He's instead... He's very quick. Dummies. The eel. Goes himself, yeah. Breaks the first tackle because the guy's expecting him to pass. Yes. Like, amp finger sort of style. He kind of barrels through, yeah. Yeah. And then DTH goes, no, this guy's not scoring because he wants to. And smashes him into touch. Like, DTH is fuming with him. You know, and to have the audacity I, to go himself. I think he has a pretty good attempt at trying to ground it once he hits the... Yeah, oh, for sure he does. Considering how bad a decision it was, he does quite well out of it. Sure. And he kind of is murdered by DTH as well. Yes. His knee just crosses the line. Like he tries to raise it, but he can't do it in time. Yeah. Uh, so his his knee goes out just before he can put the ball down. But yeah. it's a really good attempt, but ultimately, alas, for out. Yeah. However, Japan are it's, able to get... No, they have advantage. Yeah. They Basically, they had this other point where um, they took a quick throw in 
and mm. Robbins made this other break. Fumi and Kikitani mm. did this nice move to keep the ball in play. And Luke Thompson throws a mispass, which I thought was really interesting. Because yes. like, clearly he's really thinking about how to play this game, even in 2011, before he's been coached by Eddie Jones. Dude knows what he's doing. But yeah, they eventually find an advantage, which is between the posts. And mm. they don't really make use of it. Uh, I think the pass goes into touch. And Kikitani makes this ballsy decision to go to the corner instead of kicking for the points. Mm. At which point they have the line out. And then what happens? Uh, rugby. Rugby happens. Yes. I'm not going to lie to you. I have got the process of this try mixed up. Okay. I thought this was all one passage of play. So you've thrown to me off guard and I am lost as to what order things happened in. Okay. okay. Um, well, I remember all the individual on. events, but I'm kind of... Because the whole game was breaks. The it's whole game mental, was teams making yeah. breaks and running about. And like Japan making it up from their own try line to halfway didn't feel noteworthy. No, it didn't feel noteworthy no, until Sean was put out on the try line. Yeah. Um, because that just kept happening. Teams just kept yeah. making forty meters, so I've got no idea how they join up. Okay. I just because it felt it felt like a tri- like a collection of highlights. Yeah, for sure. No, it's it amazing. To answer my own question, what happens is mm. it's a first phase move in which Arledge does a nice little wrap around Nicholas, and then delivers the well sort of dummies attacks the line, delivers a lovely offload to Endo, mm. who's running this lovely midfield line, which is clearly designed for him to come oh, the... and run that. Yes, and yeah, he scores a. A rugby. Oh, you you missed the the other chance where Endo should have scored in the corner, but the pass wasn't oh. given again. No, oh, the pass, yeah. sorry, the pass was given behind. Oh yeah, him. I think that was, was the, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was the pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where they kind of they they bad. work it out, and I think it's Robbins is given the last pass mm. and just kind of drops it behind Endo, and it's one of those where Endo is definitely too flat, but also yeah. Robbins hasn't looked at all at He's where Endo better, is. Yeah. It's both of them are in the fault, but. It would have been a definite try if he just lined because he lined him up. He timed the pass well, yeah, but couldn't give it. And then yes, yeah, and then that. sorry, then the set piece move and yeah. Endo makes amends instantly. Yeah, it, it's one of those tries that's quite often replayed, is it not? You know, because it's yes. a really nice first phase try. And I mean, it, there's just nice chemistry between Arledge and Nicholas, isn't there? Running the yeah. first phase move uh, that like the wraparound is so perfectly done. And it's an underrated skill to do that correctly because so many people blow them by giving the pass on the wrong side. So, yeah. It's an extremely Japan rugby try. Yeah, for sure. It's the kind of try that Japan score all the time. Yeah, and it was the it's a try I've used a lot in videos when demonstrating mm-hmm. how built on set piece moves Japan have always been traditionally. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's an easy one to get hold of because it is on YouTube and it is worth looking at. It's a really nicely worked try. It's, you know, a yeah. few nice offloads, well-timed passes. And Endo picks his line really well. Goes under post right on the stroke of half time as well. Yeah, yeah. So Japan go in seventeen seven up at half time, uh, which is mm-hmm. a pretty healthy lead, you'd think. But the first thing I have written down from after half time was that there's a line in commentary where the ball is trapped at the bottom of a ruck uh, on the Japanese mm-hmm. side, and Grant Nisbet for some reason, says, this is the point where you should use your feet to get the ball out of a ruck. You know, yes! You should use your feet to ruck them. You're not allowed to do that anymore. But it's like, yeah, well, they shouldn't do it then. Or else they get sent <laughs> off. But the interesting thing about that is it's a collapsed mall and Kaplan gives a good 30 seconds for Tanaka to rub it out of there, to get it out. Really? Um, yeah. Not long. And... It's it's a long time. Like he gives a you know, there's no five second rule, but he gives him ages to pull it out, which I'd like to see happen more often. I'd like to see teams given longer to try and get the ball back hmm. from a collapse more. Yeah, it's kind of the way to tackle the 
you know, people complain about the choke tackle a lot. Yeah. I'm actually just just let teams try and use the ball rather than giving it the moment the ball goes to the ground. Sure. And because people weren't used to the choke tackle yet, because Ireland hadn't started doing it as a strategy for another two years ish. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't so much a thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's in, it's that's an interesting moment. As you say, Grant Nisbet mm. gets he also gets really annoyed about one scrum put in. Well he <laughs> yes, keeps he talking does. about it. He keeps talking about it for like another two minutes and there's another scrum happens and he's still talking about the previous yeah. scrums put Lots, in. Just the marshals basically just tell him to get over it. <laughs> Yeah, so as a scrum half, mate, we do that. We put yeah. it in at number eight's feet now. Yeah. Anyway, the more significant thing that happens at the start of the second half is yeah. there's a Canadian scrum, and again, a first phase move in which Ander Munro has one man running a switch, another man running a hard line, and out the mm. back he finds Phil McKenzie. And this is about 50 metres out from the try line. It's a long way. It was just as of the 22, isn't it? Oh, was it? I think, it's 30, a lo- yeah. I think it's longer. But uh, anyway, either way, Mackenzie takes the ball out the back and he does really well to finish it. He mm. goes the entire distance, beats the fullback himself. And it's, it's again, remembered but as one of those great Canadian Rugby World Cup tries. It's one of those things, because it's a brilliant solo try. Yeah. It's one of those moments that the likes of Jiffy and the likes of whoever else, you know, players that played in the 80s and 90s, don't realise, don't happen any. This was kind of one of the last examples of it, because it's a tier two nation's defence. Mm-hmm. And bless them, Japan's defence wasn't very good. Their attack was... No. Solid. The attack good. was pretty solid. It's good. But they didn't have anything in defence, really. Hence why yeah. Canada were making so many metres against them. Hence why the All Blacks scored 80 points against them. Hence why yeah. even a France team that was imploding in front of them. <laughs> that might have been the worst France played in this World Cup. And it was, <laughs> and they still lost by 40-plus yeah. points. Yeah. Or conceded 40-plus points. So, yeah. So, Japan's defence was not good. And all Canada had to do was give Mackenzie a second. Yeah. And Mackenzie got enough time that he could then drift on the outside of, I I assume it's Robbins. Robbins. Um, yeah. yeah. He gets outside the ice cream, waits for it to melt. And as he's bursting by it, he then rounds everyone. It's a great finish from there. Yeah. But he's given too much time. And that try would not be scored nowadays. But no. it's one of those where you just go, just give it to him in space. It's, like, it's, it's never that easy it's anymore. It's not simple. No, it's not no. simple. You have to do a lot of work to get a, a winger that much room in space. Yeah. Yeah. But no, the next up is maybe it's one of my favourite points in this game. It's the point where I sort of think, oh, this is bubbling. Basically, again, I think it's our first phase. Ryan Nicholas carries the ball in, and this is just outside of the Canadian twenty-two. Hmm. And as he's falling over, he does this lovely over-the-shoulder offload to Robbins, who goes straight through, steps the fullback, and is side down by one of the Canadian covering tacklers. And I just think yeah. at that point, like, okay, they're both up for this. Like both yeah. teams really oh, yeah. want this. There's yeah. it's almost the anti and yet at the same time the exact mirror of Scotland Argentina. Because that game is so tight, mm. it's hundred percent kicking rugby, but both teams are so fired up and want it so badly. Yeah. This is exactly that, but with running rugby instead of yeah. instead of kicking both teams defensive are so rugby. Confident that their first phase moves are gonna kill the opposition every time. Yeah. Oh, both both teams have this confidence of like we are the best tier two nation. We sure. are going to win this, and it's the thing I love in proper test matches that happens only really at World Cups and in the odd tier one international playoff mm-hmm. in between them, where both teams are equally good and both teams are confident they are going to win. Yeah, you know there there isn't really a favorite. Yeah, or you might have a favorite, but the teams both disagree on that. 
Yeah. And Argentina New Zealand that like last weekend felt like that. It felt like both teams considered themselves the favourite. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of what I want from proper test match rugby is them to be both sides to be equally competitive and equally fired up and beyond that be equally adept and confident in themselves. Yeah. That's the thing. I think before this game I'd have guessed that Canada were the favourites, but seeing mm. Japan go in 17-7 up at half time, you know, it's it makes it a completely different test match and it almost isn't too surprising. Mm. I also noticed, I noticed down 20 minutes in, this is Michael Leach's quietest 20 minutes of the tournament. Huh. Like, or any Ripley World Cup. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't do anything incredible in the first like, half hour. That's true. He does kind of make something like him because he carries the ball very well come the second yeah. half. Oh, the... you're right. It's less outright outstanding and more quietly very good. There's a moment where he's getting up from a ruck and he's holding his arm and it looks really uncomfortable. Like you, you wonder oh, if it's wow. broken or something. And so I then think to myself, he's going to turn the ball over next phase, isn't it? And it wasn't the next phase. It was three phases later, but still, I was still pretty close. Yeah, no, fair play. Well, joining Leach in the back row, and I don't remember this guy, but Sione Vatule. Yeah, who's incredible. He was pretty good. He has a brilliant game. Yeah. He's the official man of the match. Yes, because he got one turnover, which is, again, quite similar to, and I use this example quite often, but quite similar to Kazuki Jimeno's turnover against mm. Ireland and it's like rarely I know this isn't against a tier one nation but like rarely do does the team that is the underdog make that turnover yeah. and not get away with winning the game like Pablo Matera yeah. had the same thing against the All Blacks last week when mm. they were camped in their, inside their own 22 the All Blacks had had you know seven plus phases I think by this point and Matera just comes up with the ball and it's the one where he does the stare into the distance yes. you know ready to murder somebody when everyone and, wants him to celebrate but he's going no we have five minutes to go for sure. we're, we're not done yet. But Vatave gets this really crucial turnover. Mm. The thing that annoyed me as well, after that Nicholas offload to Robbins, there was a point which really annoyed me where Vatuve gets the ball and he does this inside pass when he has an overlap outside him. And it's that thing yeah. that really annoys me when people like, and I'm not accusing Vatave of this by any stretch because he was really good in this game. But like when I, for instance, played like uni rugby and stuff, you'd often have mm. players who really fancied themselves as like knowing about rugby by just always yeah, giving yeah. inside passes when they just they're so rarely an option these days like you know inside defense is where all the traffic is like why would you pass yeah. back into that channel and Vatave does exactly that and Canada just think yeah all right cheers we'll tackle you <laughs> yeah. here we'll, we'll kill this overlap thanks they do it Japan do it another time and the ball goes forward they give the ball away as a forward pass mm. Like they, they try doing that twice and both times it goes badly. It's infuriating when teams do it unless it's totally on. You feel like they need to give those people you played uni rugby with to Sam Kane and hear what he has to say to them. I don't know if you I saw that, co- his comments. What's he said? He said, you know, we've got a lot of All Blacks fans who are very passionate and blah, 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 blah. And some of them are understanding and fine. Uh, but a lot of All Blacks fans think they understand the game and they don't know what they're talking about at all. Christ. And it's like, I mean, no look... I think we're 45 minutes into the podcast. I don't know if it's safe for me to say I agree. But, <laughs> I, you know, there was the one guy uh, commented on my video where I said Josh Adams is the best winger in the world. Mm-hmm. And he said, Josh Adams can't be the best winger in the world. I've never even heard of him. And I <laughs> think that sums, up, yeah. that, that sums up the, that sums up the attitude with, I'm not saying everyone. And I think if you're, if you're 45 minutes of listening to your podcast, on Japan 23, Canada 23, you're yeah. not part of that problem. You're yeah, not I one mean, of those. I don't but, think there's anybody who's going to send you like emails saying, why do you not say Matthew Putin is the best winger in the world? But 
I think Matthew Putin though, might wonder that. That's fair. Or Jason Tubman. I think maybe. he became like a primary school teacher or something. Matthew Did he? Huh. Yeah. I don't know. Fair I might make that up. Yeah. Um, other thing, right? I mentioned Bryce no, Robbins. Was... Oh yeah, go on. Um, no, go on, please. If anybody who I play junior rugby with is listening, that doesn't apply to all of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does. It does. He told me. He told me it's all of you. Carry on. Bryce Robbins, right? Who I mentioned earlier, uh, he was just down the road because he was visiting family in New Zealand. I don't know how that happened when the game was in Russia. <laughs> I forgot about that part. Well, Bryce Robbins is a Russian name, is it not? Surely, surely. A Bryce yeah. Robbins, yeah. Yeah. They must have Baskin Robbins in Russia. <laughs> they do. They have Baskin Robbins in Kranzigar. They have it in Moscow. They have it in Kursk. Yeah. Mm, oh yeah, it's quite a big deal in quite a big deal in Russia, apparently. Mm, okay. The Russians the Russians love Baskin Robbins. And mm-hmm. he was running his family business out of there. And they are the world's largest chain of ice cream shops. Uh yeah. yeah, and then he went on to play you know, he was just multitasking, wasn't he? He was yeah, checking in on his sure. family business and then he was going to play outside centre. Yeah. Okay, so not long after this turnover, Monroe kicks a penalty and he actually scores this time. Um he scores a penalty, and then straight from the kickoff, Jason Marshall. It's one of those just on that the decision to kick it when you're seventeen thirteen down, or seventeen twelve down. Sorry, mm-hmm. is a ballsy call. It is sixty two minutes something gone. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I would. It's what I would have done. Yeah, but you see, too many tier two teams don't take that shot. Yeah, they don't take the chance. They just go, no, we have to score now because they don't and have they that kind of confidence twice. that kind of team yeah. do. Yeah, but as you say, it's the both teams felt they were the best team. Composed. So both teams yeah. backed themselves. Yeah. Despite having so I, Adam I love kicking the goals, they were very composed. Yeah. And yeah, he scored what? this one. And then straight from the kickoff, Jason Marshall is playing tight head prop for Canada. Just gives away an offside from a kick, or from a knock-on even. Yeah. And then, even more stupidly, just keeps hold of the ball when the Japanese are trying to take it off him and gives away an extra 10 yards from the referee. And it was really stupid. And then that makes it a kickable penalty and Arledge obviously converts it. Though the... So the, the two interesting points on this. One is Hawassa trying to get the ball off him is hilarious. Yeah. Because he looks like a like a tiny claymation man trying to take the ball off a giant beast troll. <laughs> and I'm talking like it's, like... it's like watching Morph try and take the ball off an actual real-life gorilla. Yeah. Whereas then you then get beyond that uh, no, it's the following penalty, isn't it? With the yes, it is. The yeah, 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 we'll get onto that. But yeah, so it's he then kicks this penalty, Arledge, mm-hmm. puts Japan solidly ahead, and you can feel this kind of quiet confidence about them, just as there was about Canada as they were taking their shot. Yeah, which again is is hugely exciting. We then come to restart, and something very exciting happens. On comes Hitoshi Ono. Hello. That's exactly what I've got written down in my notes. Hello there, Hitoshi. <laughs> Hitoshi Ono, for anyone unaware is a legend i think hero. is the softest word to use that's the other word i'd use it's either legend or hero isn't it yeah he is a firefighter who would alternate between he'd play professional rugby most of the year and then would work as a firefighter during the off season he is japan's most capped player on 98 caps uh he only retired early this year age 42 <laughs> because he wanted to try and get to 100 caps and it unfortunately didn't happen he kind of like how very handsome man look? as well very incredibly handsome man. handsome man he had this kind of like shoulder length hair that was always massively greasy no matter what yes and it suited him weirdly oh yeah massively he looked like the kind of 
They kind of, you know, in an anime when there's like a wise old man that lives in a cave and yes. hasn't seen society in twenty years. That is him. Yeah, that's that's what Hitoshi Ono was like, but yeah. very tall and a yeah. firefighter and a hero and a legend and a very good lock. Yeah, no, very good player. Yeah, do you have a, a point to make on him, or just you know talk about how? No, just he, he comes on. Yeah, just he comes on. Just and we're not really mentioning him at that point. Japan, so exactly. Enough. So I wanted to talk a bit about Hitoshi Ono because yeah. I love him and I think yeah. he's wonderful. But you mentioned Hawasa. Yes. There's an incident involving Hawasa which happens a minute so, later. After the kickoff, um, a bunch of like bullshit happens, um, and it results in Japan getting a penalty about the four, about the ten meter line in yeah. Canada's half. So about forty meters from goal, not between the posts, but not far off. And the penalty is given. Japan have a few phase advantage. Is then called back for the penalty. Yeah. And Hawasa at scrum half, the replacement scrum half grabs the ball and begins to run towards the mark. Yeah. He is never going to take a quick tap. Bear in mind, like, it's, as you say, it's between the posts, like, it's a very kickable penalty. All 15 of the Japanese players know that they're going to get, let Arledge, you know, let this sail through the posts. Especially Kikitani. He's very passionate about, who is the captain, I will stress. Very passionate about this decision. Hiwasa picks the ball up, just doing that thing where he's going to dummy taking a quick tap to send the Canadians back. You say that, I've seen him take quick taps under pressure when it's a bad decision often True. enough that I think he might do it. True. I can understand this. Bear in mind what the New Zealand-Japan game we did. He took eight quick taps, did we count in the end? Something like that. He took an yeah. insane amount of quick taps. Um, uh, so I guess it's it's not beyond the realms of possibility. And Kikitani, good as spears him to stop him making that quick, t- that like quick he, tap. He grabs him by the head like he puts his hand on like his forehead and like no don't and kind of grabs him like properly like it's there's far more force in that than in Kazuki Endo's tackle on on his own try line genuinely he grabs his own scrum off and you can hear him shout shot on the referee's mic like no we're taking the shot at Cole do not Take a quick tap under any circumstances. And I can just picture him then turning to talk to the referee and just having to look back over his shoulder in case Hawasa's is taking a tap quietly while no one's looking. There's eventually afterwards, Hiwasa's giggling about it and Kikitani goes up and gives him a high five, like, sorry, yes. mate, you know, sort of thing. Gives him a bit of an apology. But Hiwasa finds it hilarious that he, like, the thought of taking a quick tap, like, he would have taken that because it's funny. Yeah, rather than because it's a good option, because it wasn't. Yeah. However, Ali steps up, yeah. nails it. Yeah. And then within three minutes of this, Canada are ambling about the halfway line. And mm. you can tell a lot of the forwards are knackered by this point. And inexplicably find themselves in really good shape. Like they accidentally. Yeah, they accidentally find themselves running decent dummy lines off players because they've got yeah. themselves like scattered across the pitch. And, you know, something could come of this. But, you know, that could age pretty well, having forwards mm. scattered across the pitch. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, but it works really, really well. And Ryan Smith makes this lovely break and does like a nice offload. And can to spread it and find themselves somehow on the five-meter line from yeah. Japan's try line. And... Yeah, then at one point, I think Sean White's on at this point, isn't he? Uh, he yes. picks up the ball, and then Andrew Runner, who I'm not convinced is a 10, but he's a good rugby the titanium player, 10. clearly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, runs this great line inwards to score a try, and then you realise... It's the oh, Jamie Roberts line. Yeah, it's... run by a 10. Yeah, 
but run by a fly half who has a face a bit like a. But it makes you realise that like Canada yeah. could win this. Bless him. Yeah. Oh, it's like, both. Canada can feel how important this is. Yeah. I think Japan are more. Japan haven't decided they've won it. There's still you know a lot of effort going on. Yeah. But they're they're not as tense as Canada are. Who are very. This is all or nothing. This is our World Cup on the line right now. Yeah. This matters. There's there's nothing more important than this. So Monroe Amaro picks a great line, finishes yeah. it. And he needs the conversion to put to put Canada within one point. Yeah, and he misses. He's one yeah. from four at this point after missing that penalty. So Pritchard going off is crucial because if you had him on, you could bank on him. You know, I have personally bet all the money in the world, in the world. that uh, James Pritchard would kick that conversion, and he didn't. So the Martians did are... they take that bet? Uh, uh, basically, it was, was cancelled because he went off. Right. Um, okay. So uh, no, I it's a dud it... bet. I figured you could have bet it in a slightly dodgy betting shop run by the guy who owns Chelsea, <laughs> who clearly there's something dodgy going on. Like, Russian oligarch who owns a British football club. There's something dodgy going on there. Yeah, I think so. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wake up in a river tomorrow, aren't I? He's going <laughs> to chain me to the bottom. It's like, either that or Jonathan Kaplan or something. See you, lads. Yeah, the two of them get in league together. Yeah. They met at this game because they were yeah. obviously they were officials together. He was a touch judge. And Jonathan Kaplan was the referee. Yeah. So his, his, his and both of them are homophobic, so... Do you think Rick Gonslot will write an article about Jonathan Kaplan and following you? I mean, Probably. We've made, it's become very clear Former... that we do not listen to this podcast. But... <laughs> Former referee fumes at YouTuber. Yeah. And again, be the same photo, and I've drawn a little yellow line around me, a little yellow circle around me. Yeah. So with a picture of Jonathan Kaplan like blowing his whistle, yeah, and it would yeah. say he's fuming at Squid Rugby for being too gay or something. I think, it's like, have yeah. I ever no? Have I ever told you about Ken, the guy from the YouTube comments? No. Oh, mate. Okay, okay. I'm going to take a quick diversion. Okay. We're heading into a really cool five minutes of okay. really great rugby and everything. However, we're taking a moment out to look for my favourite commenter on any of my videos. He's the only guy I tend to reply to, who I believe is Ken Rehill. Ken something, along mm-hmm. those lines. He co- Yes, Ken Rehill. He is... He, he comments on every one of my videos without fail. Okay. Big fan, then. Often, yeah, often picking out things that happen in the last ten minutes. And all he does is comment saying he hates how gay I am. <laughs> So, for example, someone commented saying, I wish my online lectures, my virtual lectures, were this interesting. And he replied... (laughs) He replied saying, I bet they are. They just don't have an inverted commas, squidge, making bummy comments. (laughs) Bummy comments. Wow. Yep. Uh, What else? I've opened some of the stuff here. Someone commented saying Sexton's nicknames are getting better and better. Someone replied saying Jiggling Sex Wanker, which was a name I gave to him in that video. And he then replied saying, and yet he makes false claims of systemic racism in British rugby. Double standards. Typical of his sort. (laughs) Can you just say that? I don't... Then someone replied making a perfectly, like, level-headed reply of, like, I don't... No, what you're talking about, mate. What are you doing? And he replied, I'm happy to talk about women's players' tits and call it banter. Or how about gay jokes and call them banter? I detest the sort of double standards we hear from this sort of person. Christ. Yeah, he's he's nice. my favourite guy. No, yeah. Because he'll often, he'll comment on things. 
We should, shouldn't we? I'm trying to find any of the... Oh, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Can we get him on as a guest? <laughs> so he commented on my video on Island Italy from the Six Nations, the, you know, the, the re-word up. Video, name of the video was, so how did Ireland tear for Italy? And he said, how? Real easy. Italy are more than a bit shite. So the guys in green score more points than the guys in blue shirts because they're a lot better. Brackets, but still not very good. In rugby, as with most sports, the team who scores the most points wins. And you still continue with your disgusting sexist comments. No place in rugby for your sort. And sexist I replied, comments. yep, I replied, thanks, Ken, see you next video. <laughs> Um, and he said, so you, because of your type, you are, you get to make lewd, idiotic, sexist comments about players, but I don't get to say that of certain female players who have got great tits. (laughs) (laughs) Even better. In brackets, none of them do actually, but that's beside the point. I then didn't reply to that. I didn't see that until right now. No. He then actually replied again to that, saying, I can cut your... Dr- oh, blah, 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 blah. There's nothing interesting there. That's fine. No. Uh, um, what's, what's, his, what's his name? Ken Greenhill, was it? Ken Rehill. Ken Rehill. R-E-H-I-L-L. That's amazing. Then my video Let's on the Brighton Miracle. He yeah. said, wasn't a miracle. Not making gay marks about players isn't a miracle. It's your choice. Stop the gayness. And I replied saying, yeah. I honestly wonder how you spend your days, Ken. <laughs> oh, good old Ken. Uh, he's, he's, he's great. I'll tell you what, um, when you come out as straight, he's going to have something hit him. <laughs> I know. I can't wait for it. Oh, man. Should we go back to this game of rugby? Um, or do you, do sure, you more, sure, we could. One more bit of Ken. Yeah, okay. We we could. Uh, Ken is, as I say, my... Hero. My favourite. Yeah. Uh, okay, so on the video on England... Italy from the Six Nations uh, you know how did England steal the Six Nations in Rome he said Ireland yeah. didn't beat France in the final game and France didn't beat Ireland by over 30 points that's how England won the Six Nations this is what happens in sport the team that wins the most points win the match not too complicated which I love like that's I get that comment can. I've never yeah. had that comment before from anyone but that's great there's always one person who tweets that in response to how did this happen yeah every single video I get that four or five times it's yeah. It's so much fun. I replied, Ken, every morning, the first thing I do when I wake up is check YouTube to see if you set up your own channel for these phenomenal insights yet. And he replied, every morning, sounds a little obsessive. Do you have a job? (laughs) Every video sounds obsessive. And I replied, believe it or not, I make a living talking about rugby, so I can only imagine how much you could make, considering the enormous understanding you don't demonstrate commenting on every video I post. Probably millions. And he never replied. However... I did then post another video, and he did, of course, reply, saying, if you're allowed to make sexist jokes and remarks about players and false accusations of systemic racism in rugby, am I allowed to make gay jokes or comment on women's players' tits, asking for a friend? He's obsessed with talking about female... He just really wants to talk about Emily Scarrett's tits. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. It's like his favourite thing. That's a really funny human being. Um, So, yeah, that's Ken. That's Ken. Sorry, I've introduced you all to Ken. Yeah, and now back to the really good bit of the really <laughs> yes. good rugby match that we're talking about. So, Andy Monroe misses that... Oh, God, this feels like an <laughs> yeah. age ago. Andy Monroe misses I know, that sorry, conversion. Yeah, sorry. And Japan, crucially, end up giving away a penalty after Sean White does this box so, kick, which Van der Japan have been back. consistently terrible on restarts. Yes. On either side. They've just they've lost basically every restart, or they've given a penalty at every restart. 
this final one, they actually do reasonably well. Oh no, so it's the one after this. Yeah, sorry. Yes, because so yes, Monroe scores a penalty. Like they take the points, deciding this guy's one from four. Do we trust him? Yeah, why not? And he scores it. He scores but it. But they do they do run their classic move in the lead up both sides of this, uh, which is just give it to DTH. Yes, yeah, because yeah. there are points like we didn't mention it. DTH makes two breaks in the lead up to the Monroe try. Yeah. He almost scores himself twice. Yeah, um, he is fantastic every time he gets on the ball. Yeah, and they have a penalty advantage given, and they just go DTH. Let's do it. So they just chuck it to him. There's nothing on DTH. Kind of busts the tackle, but it's brought to ground. And then they just go, no, we 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 take the points. We'll do yeah. something ironic, considering at one point Japan were twenty fifteen up, considering what goes on to happen. Uh-huh. Canada then they think, do we go for the win or do we take the draw? They try and take the draw. They go for that shot. And Monroe nails it. Twenty three points to twenty three. With what is there, ninety seconds to play? Yeah. So Japan take the kickoff and they win mm-hmm. it back themselves, crucially. So they have a shot at going for the win here at 23 Yeah, Which, frankly, I mean, if either team scored a penalty or a drop goal from this, that team deserves to win, frankly. It's that even, the last, the second half of this yes. match, that yeah. that is the way it deserves to be. So they have a few phases, not enough phases, and then they send it back to the pocket for Arledge to, to get Well, they the don't goal. send it back to the pocket. They send it for Arledge just looking outside him. And then he notices the Canadian defence isn't up on him very quickly. So he has all the time in the world, all the money in the world, and all the time in the world. And so he readjusts and goes, I'm going to take a drop goal attempt here. He's about 45 like, when yards he takes out, the... for the record. Yeah. When he takes the ball, he's looking to pass. Like, he's thinking, he isn't thinking the drop goal when the ball is passed out. Or Hawassa certainly isn't passing it back to him in the pocket. He's just kind of... I can't tell if that class is a snap drop goal. Because it sort of is, but he has so much time that he thinks yeah. actually got time to set for it properly. I think part of it is similar to what we're saying with Glove about Dan Parks, is that he wants mm. to get it done before the 80th minute. So if he misses, yes. he has another shot at it. But you want to give yourself a better shot than that. But yeah. just to Marshall correctly pointed this out, actually, that the best thing mm. about that kick was that it went dead. So yeah. they get the 22 dropout, which Monroe yeah, takes. It goes wide, like it, it goes wide and short. Like it's not wide, a very yeah. good attempt. Yeah. But it does go dead, so they're given a second opportunity. So Canada take the 22 dropout, and they defend it very well, actually. Um, yes. They send it quite long, rather than trying to contest it. And Japan are trying to pull all sorts of rabbits out of hats, trying to get yeah. somewhere near the, Japan, the Canadian 22. They don't really achieve much, and eventually... But, but the pitch is now flooded with bunnies. That's true, that's true. Which is... All of the forwards have taken off their scrum caps and they've just got loads of yeah. rabbits pulling out of them. This is actually how um, Fiji's pitches all became full of frogs. It's because yeah. of... Um... <laughs> they kept pulling out of scrum caps. Yeah, Semi Kanatani just constantly pulling out of scrum caps. and yeah, It's a nightmare, isn't it? I hate it when that happens. Yeah. But the crucial point was that I think it was Onazawa takes the ball into contact and is held mm. up by maybe Jeb Sinclair. But they hold him up they would have got the turnover from the scrum. However, Jonathan mm. Kaplan blows full time. We're eight to one minutes into the game. Sadly, we do not find yeah. a winner. It's left as a draw again. There is yet to be a winner between Japan and Canada in the Rugby World Cup. Yeah. It's it's a really great, thrilling end of the game. And it it's, feels like yeah. a fitting conclusion. It deserves sure. to be a draw. It should be a draw. No doubt. I will say, if this happened now, if Japan were given the ball from a dropout in the last play, 
23 points, 23 points against anyone, I would back them to score. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. They would win that game. Like, not just Canada. Like, they would be... I would back them against the All Blacks or the Springboks or whoever to win that game from that situation. They are the most composed team on the ball. When they have yeah. the possession, they're the most composed team of any Rugby World Cup team. Yeah. Including the Blacks. Yeah, like, oh, certainly at the minute, you know, yeah. evidence from the last 18 months, they are the most composed team with the ball. It's pretty much since the 2015 All Blacks is the last time I was that sure of a team's chances. Yeah. And you kind of, you end up looking at the, so I know you haven't seen Chasing the Sun yet, have you? No, not yet. No. But there's a thing Rashford about in that it? game. Um, oh, Tom, know, Tom, Tom who we had on the podcast is in it, isn't he? Tom yeah, Tom yeah. He has a voice yeah. cameo in the first episode. Yeah. Nice. And no one else interested in it though. There's this one guy who's who understands the game very very funny. Is it Gareth Mason? There's, yeah. Yes. No, he's not. I yeah, I, I actually emailed was. one of the producers saying put Gareth Mason's video clips yeah. in there, and it didn't happen unfortunately. That's but, a shame because he knows what he's doing. Um, and he is great, and he's passionate about the Springboks, and we love him, and he's a friend of the podcast. And also, that's the reason why I've not watched it is because Gareth Mason's not in it. All of the above. Yes, agreed. But the point I was making was Razzie Rasmus says this thing about. Basically, their game plan is they constantly do this kind of death by a thousand cuts where they just keep battering away at them and eventually the opposition breaks. And he said, with Japan, they want to go out and just give body blows as many as Dolphin is in the first half. Yeah. And he said that normally we just wear them down slowly. It's like, actually, this game, we've got to go out as early as possible and try and really batter into them mm. and really try and like hurt them. Yeah. And like, there, are, there are scenes in those episodes where Razzie is celebrating opposition players going off injured. Because he's that kind of coach, yeah. Well, I was listening to um, Tommy Bow talking on the... It was on the Under, Under the Sticks podcast. He was talking right. about the uh, second Lions test in 2009. And basically hmm. after the Scott Berger incident where he may have gouged a player, but it's fine, it's only worth 10 minutes in the bin. When that incident happened, Brian O'Driscoll just called them in and just said, right, this is war. And like genuinely he was saying... And apparently like Tommy Bow said that he couldn't repeat a lot of the things Bod was saying about like the things they were going to do to the Springbok players at yeah. that point I think that says a lot about I know we're not talking about Springboks we're talking about Japan but mm. it's it's like the moment the referee loses control of the game isn't it yeah. you only give a yellow card for a deliberate gouge right in front of the touch judge and the thing I remember about that is the touch judge says it's at least a yellow Yeah, and he then just gives a yellow yeah. rather than going oh you mean it's a red card because he put a finger in the eye Yeah, but it's a minute into his 50th cap so of course he's not being sent you know yeah. that's a completely different podcast yeah yeah, but I do think I do think it's an interesting point. I do think it's an interesting thing. Yeah. And the, hey, these were two teams going absolutely all out at it, but in a very different way. As I say, it's yeah. the complete opposite of that Scotland Argentina game because both teams are going at it, but by running everything and by chucking the yeah. ball out constantly. Like I don't know what the pass count was in this game. I'm going to have a look. It's been insane. But 153 passes to 131. Wow. Okay. Which is high. 365 high. meters made to 312. Which is yeah, pretty good. To say Balanced. the ball in play was probably quite was probably lower than we'd get nowadays in yeah, a tier one test. Probably, yeah. That comes about the same. Yeah. Which is impressive. Yeah. But yeah, so the game finishes, twenty three all. Final mm. thoughts. I think this is one of my top five games of the tournament so far. We're what, twenty nine yeah. games in? That's and a I think very this is bold call. One of the best this is the thirtieth. Right. I think this is up there with, and I suppose we'll get onto this at some point, but yeah. Argentina's Scotland, I think, is right up there. I think yeah. the other game, Canada Tonga, is very good. That was great. I loved that. And Fiji Namibia, I think, is similarly great. I, that is that is an all-time favourite of mine. But I think this is up there. I think this is a really great game. And it's one of those, I keep saying on this podcast, but it's a proper rugby world cup match. In yeah. this two-tier, two nations, you've prepared for four years for this game. 
right? And yeah. it isn't... This is their final. It isn't the All Blacks against the Springboks. Yeah, but it's like, we can have our best World Cup in 20 years. But both teams have got that on their mind, yeah. right? Th- this is as big as it gets. This is basically, it's a knockout game. Yeah. It's enormous. It's as big as rugby gets for anyone in that nation. Yeah. And both teams are in that boat here. It's not like Uruguay-Fiji, which I love, obviously, but that was the biggest game of four years for Uruguay. It wasn't for Fiji. Yeah. Both teams are going hammering tongues at this. I loved watching this game back. I think that mm. this is the last of Japan before they got good and the last of Canada being genuinely very good. Yes. And like it is a really great Canadian team. And I know, as I say, we've got another game to cover with them where they play against mm. the All Blacks. And I don't know what's going to happen in that match. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this kind of Canadian team throughout this World Cup. And you're right, it's just yeah. a great spectacle for both teams. Yeah. I th- Should we talk about Man of the Match now? I was going to say that. Should we do Man of the Match in Dick of the Day? Sure, let's do it. I think Man of the Match is a good place to start. So I have written down Bryce Robbins is one who I just think, as I said, like, balling was the term I used earlier. And I think that I stand by that. That yeah. was that he was he was really good in this game. DTH van der Merve was, obviously, he was everywhere in defence and he was just hitting lines and attack like nobody else. Uh, however, and I know we've only mentioned him once in this game, but the man of the match for me was Luke Thompson because he was he was always the go-to line-out man. Like, set piece, he was phenomenal. And you could just see the shades of... And don't get me wrong, if I watched the game back in 2011, my man of the match would have been Brush Robbins. Like, but watching yeah. it back now, knowing what Luke Thompson does... Yeah. Like, it's... Uh, and we said the same thing before when we watched back the Brighton Miracle game, uh, which wasn't much of a yes. miracle, but whatever. <laughs> watching that game back, Not the got the same thing with Thompson is absolutely man of the match that yeah. he's so clearly everything he does on a rugby pitch is done for a reason Yeah, he always thinks about what pass to throw when to carry the ball what line to run and sometimes it looked like he was playing rugby from the future in this game Yeah, and I said this on a previous episode and in a video that I think Luke Thompson is maybe the most underrated player of the last 15 years Yeah, I and I think he's he's the only Next to Alan Wynne Jones, he's the only lot that's shown the evolution of that position Agreed. over the course of his career. Yeah. But, he's, but then, actually, you look back at him playing here, and you look at clips of him in 2007, and he was that good, and he was doing that kind of stuff then. You know, I think almost the game has caught up with him, but he's also, because he also works as a workhorse-type lock, it's, he's, he's incredible. And he was, I was torn between one player for either side for Man of the Match, and I don't know if because it's a draw, I you do your... I was looking at Luke Thompson or DTH van der Merwe and I was really 50-50 on them and I genuinely hadn't decided them until literally right now and I think it would have been Luke Thompson but for you saying Luke Thompson so I'll go DTH van der Merwe because it's then got a balance between them. I like that. But for completely different reasons because Thompson is doing everything you possibly want of a lot all of the tight stuff all of that plus as you say picking great passes he like the amount of turnovers Luke Thompson wins for a man of his size is incredible. He's, He's an insane athlete. He's so underrated. Yeah. He's brilliant. And again, I've, I've covered all this on the, the last episode in Japan, but I think he's he's brilliant. Yeah. And and I don't think I quite appreciated him until until he's retiring, no. how good he was. However, DTH van der Merwe, every time he touches the ball, so dangerous. It's phenomenal. The amount of breaks he makes where he has no right to. He yeah. he just looked like... he. he- he doesn't accept a tackle, does he? That's in this no. in particular. That's the thing I notice yeah. most about him. Like every time someone tries to tackle him, he's like, "No, no, no, you're not taking me down." Like he, yeah, he, he will fight for the extra five meters. He was almost unplayable at points. Yeah, and there were times in which he would be 
it would look like it'd just be you'd have to take a soak up tackle, you know, he's in no space. Yeah. And he'd bounce someone and go find and he'd find three or four meters when he shouldn't. Yeah. As well as the amount of the sheer amount of breaks he made, the sheer amount of ground he covered. He was I don't know if you'd agree on those two as being their nation's respective best players. Yeah, I but, think that's fair. Okay, he made ninety three meters from the centre. That's insane. That's a great that's, stat. That doesn't happen. That's he made more stat. meters than anyone else and he was playing in the centre. Given I nearly gave his opposite number man of the match as well. Like, yeah. That shows uh, Robin's ma- Robin's in fairness made 84. <laughs> so that's that's pre- pretty play. good. Yeah. To say he's come off the bench as well. Yeah. But 93 metres playing in the centre. And I'm not sure if I said earlier that this was Bryce Robin's last game for Japan as well. Um, yes. So it's a good way to go out. Yeah. 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 What okay, so DJ Van der Merwe. Oh, absolutely. DJ Van der Merwe and Luke Thompson split the vote. Yeah. I'm glad of that. Dick of the day. Yeah. So my dick of the day was awarded 40 seconds into the match. <laughs> There's a point where, on a bit of an overlap, Kanda passed the ball to Chauncey O'Toole, who drops the ball mm. under no pressure, and mm-hmm. it's sort of he's near the touchline. And then after dropping the ball under no pressure, he kicks the ball along the floor. But he's actually kicked the ball quite hard, and it's hit a ball boy in the face on the <laughs> sideline. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. So Chauncey O'Toole's my dick of the day for that. Firstly, dropping the ball, imagine... second, kicking it into the ball boy's face. Can you imagine being that ball boy, being hit in the face with the ball, and then when someone says, oh, the rugby world cup, you were kicked in the face by a ball, who kicked you in the face? And he's going to go, Chauncey O'Toole. Oh, fair enough, yeah. Yeah, that'll happen, won't it? You'll do that. I really struggled for a dick of the day, I missed that. However, you... It's a shame after I give him man of the match twice, but Andy Munro did miss a kick between the posts. Yeah, he did. We've not given that enough credit, have we? So slap between slap bang between the posts, twenty meters out, straight in front. Like there are creatures without legs who could kick it from there. <laughs> but Andy Munro misses it. Yeah. I don't know if it's something about him being made of metal so he can't tilt it properly, or because he looks a bit like a bee true. I don't know what it is, but Andy Monroe misses it for some reason and and it goes it sails wide. Yeah. Um so Andy Monroe is unfortunately my dick of the day. <laughs> I think that's entirely justified. Because <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good to say he's turned out to be actually decent in this World Cup. And so yeah. unfortunately it's now time for us to say Sayonara, Japan. But not before we can throw oh, no. a big old party for the boys in red and white striped hoops on their rugby jersey yeah they they were good i mean player of the tournament was michael leach for me i mean there's not a lot of debate (laughs) it's i mean we've talked about thompson quite a lot here um i think the three players that really stand out or the four players that really stand out are the four that went on to play in 2019 yeah like there's a reason that that's, that's they continue They have this kind of longevity. In that Michael Leach is incredible, and those two middle games in particular, he is phenomenal. Yeah. And it's the Tonga game, isn't it? Like the All Blacks game, he's very, very, very good. Yeah. But Mandan is also on the pitch. Yeah. Um, and the Tonga game, he is the best player on that pitch by such a margin. Yeah. Like, it's one of the best performers of this tournament so far. He's yeah. brilliant. And you're right, Thompson um, was spoken about at length. Horier yeah. was just Horier a really good handler of the ball, right. just a good hooker technically as well. As I say, this James is Arnold where we first became 
fans of like, I didn't know who Horrier was before watching no. this tournament. Obviously, no, no, I mean originally in 2011, yes. um, I I knew who he was before doing this podcast. Yeah, uh, and I became a huge fan of this kind of pacey Japanese hooker who loved offloading yeah. and flicking the ball out the back and trying little dink kicks in behind and so on. Yeah, um, like he kicked in two out the three, two out the four games. Yeah, huge fan of shot Horrier and, you're and the two Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fumi Tanaka, brilliant, and Hawasa, very good when he wasn't taking needless quick taps. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Tanaka is very good and obviously got a contract with the Highlanders off the back of this World Cup. Yes. Um, and has gone on to become almost, uh, I guess, a household name among rugby fans. So Yeah. yeah. He is kind of the... He certainly was by 2015 the biggest name in his Japan team. Yeah. And, you know, Leach and so on have gone, and the two wingers, Mashashima and Fukuoka, have gone on to be since. Yeah. But... Fumi Tanaka remains a hit, and he will be, I think, for a long time, for a huge generation of rugby fans, synonymous with Japanese rugby. Yeah. He'll be one of the first names and first players that comes to mind for a long time. Yeah. To pick a dick of the tournament, if you can pause the music Mm. for this, because it's mellow at this point, to pick a dick of the tournament, it's very straightforward for me. It's Sean Webb for that stupid kick away against Tonga, where he dropped the ball. and just It's hard to see beyond Sean Webb, isn't it? Because he had three or four moments in that one game. Yeah, of just having horror shows. I think Tubayeli was shit off the bench oh, yeah, against Tonga. And then, like, in his first touch in this game against Canada, he just drops the ball under. Yeah. Like, he, he kind of makes a great carry and then loses the ball, and it kind of summed him up to me. He did and have he flashes was a of massive being lad. good by being fast. Because he, but... he is a massive lad. He is. And he had a surprising turn of pace. Yeah. But he was one of the players that could offload but not pass. He was and so he nearly good, wasn't he? He could catch, but he couldn't keep hold of it. Yeah. So he was frustrating to watch. He's, you know, uh, he made a solid go of it, but and as did Ryan Nicholas dropping everything and missing tackles in that first game. But he really made up for it. <laughs> he really made up for it as it went on. He had a really good game against Canada here. Yeah. So Sean Webb, yeah, I think Japan's Dick of the Tournament. Yeah. This is all unofficial. I'm not counting these in the official tally no, yeah. of Dick of the Day and Man of the Matches. No yeah. stat sheets to give to Deacon Marnie for this. <laughs> no, yeah. Bless him. Bless him. We've got almost every single in-joke in here. We should start yeah, playing yeah. in-joke bingo. Well, okay. Squeeze them all in. It's funny you should mention that, because before we finish this podcast, I have one more thing I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. I would like to say thank you to everybody who listens, and especially for the fact that since our last episode, Chad Plato has signed mm. for Zebra. We've received about three more responses to the chain, people adding full stops. And by all means, keep doing it, because you know he might get another target, he might have more teams interested in him. However, that... <laughs> Chad Plato, if he has the Twitter app downloaded, he now has, I think it's 28 different vo- different notifications of people tagging him in a tweet of just a full stop. So I'd like to congratulate Chad on signing for Zebra uh, off the back exclusively mm. of that tweet and the chain that has come subsequently from it. And thank you to anybody who's made this happen. Absolutely. No, I'd like to thank all of you and all the Tavises as well. Um, yeah. while we're I, here. I could, I could um, name everybody I, personally, but... Um... I wonder if we should tag Zebra in the chain now that it's oh, complete. That's a good point. Should I just reply and tag Zebra? I think you should do live that. Live, yeah. as we're recording. Yeah, I think you should okay. do that. And you'll get shitloads of likes on it. <laughs> I just, like, it's happened. The deal's done, but I want to make Zebra a social media appear. Uh, yeah. You know, I want to make them, them aware of it. Make them aware it's that, happened. that Chad Blaze is turning up to training on Monday. <laughs> He's flying in. Never mind COVID. Never mind any of this. Yeah. Here's the chain. Show replies. 
There's there's one in the middle I hadn't liked. I should like that now. Oh man, who who's who's was it? Uh I've just liked it. I've lost. Oh wait, now. yeah, I've, I've just, just got a notification about that. Uh, okay, okay. So just want to tag at Zebra Rugby. I don't need a message, do I? Just just tag <laughs> no, at Zebra Rugby. So, yeah. <laughs> just send it. <laughs> should I then tag at Zebra Rugby and make this a chain again? <laughs> They'll be so confused. Should I do that? I don't know. I want to see what how many tweets does Zebra Rugby receive. Oh yeah, that's a good point. The last person to tweet to them was the Pro 14. Before that, it was someone wishing happy birthday to Michael Bradley. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's Michael Bradley's Happy's birthday. birthday. Wait, it was Michael Bradley's squad. birthday on the day that we finished the chain. Oh my God. It was their coach's birthday on that day. We went, it's the best possible birthday present. It's the, the best, best player, player in the 2019, 2019 World, World Cup. Cup. That's Have incredible. This oh, is brilliant. You've just this got a reply. Great. Yeah, you all of reply. the... J- Jack Merriman has just replied saying, come on, Zebra Rugby, sign the chat up. And, yes, you've got another record. <laughs> Carl O'Connor, I think that's pronounced, has tagged at Zebra Rugby. This is incredible. It, yeah, it already begins. It already yeah. begins. Okay, thank you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna join He's this chain. He signed. Okay, okay. This is canon. Brilliant. Okay, well, congratulations <laughs> to Chad. Yeah, I I opened Twitter elsewhere and see Jamal Ford Robertson is currently at Sainsbury's. Good on him, lad. Yeah. Oh man, this is. <laughs> Twitter notifications are going mental now. Okay. Thank you to everybody who listens. Thank you to everybody who's made this happen for Chad Plato. This is a a life-changing opportunity for him. It really is. Just a small boy from a Namibian farm, probably, um, who one day (laughs) really wanted to add a full stop to Sky Sports' tweet about Liverpool. And we saw that and we thought, you know what? This could be an opportunity to change a life for the better. And I believe we've done that. Yep. And thank you to everyone who's already joining in on the chain. Seconds yep. on. He's now at 34 followers. Like We have, what, like quadrupled <laughs> his follower well, count? Yeah, he's on like he had like five. three. Yeah, when we, we brought this up. The first. chain's already starting. <laughs> thank you, Ryan, who just responded to me. And we don't even need to tell them what's going on. They're already doing it. <laughs> so, yeah, I want to say thank you to all of them. I want to say apologies to Zebra Social Media person <laughs> who is currently so confused. <laughs> Has no idea where any of this is coming from. But maybe it's what tips them over the edge and begins the process of Chanthado <laughs> signing for Zebra. <laughs> This is the best bit we've done on this podcast. If this actually happens, Imagine. I will be so proud of my country. It's what the people want to see. <laughs> okay, so this this episode will be it'll be Friday by the time the episode goes up. But you know, if you see that chain, it's it started by at Plato Chad. Go all the way to the bottom of it and see whatever trend is going on by the time you're there, because who knows. This is this is tremendous. This is great work by everyone involved. Uh, 
we've gone on for an hour and a half as well. Yeah, we have. So that's pretty cool. That's grand. What a what an episode. Thank you very much for listening. As I say, please just go and join the chain. Please join in. Yeah. In the meantime, there will be rugby. But once the rugby is over, uh, the next episode, the next game is Italy 27, USA 10. I repeat, Italy 27, the USA 10. Yes, that's a game of rugby. And we'll see you yeah. there for it. I, I didn't know if you had anything to add. Anything no, you I didn't. To throw Sorry. In as well. No, that's cool. That's grand. No, that's all right. Do you know where Italy is? No. All right. Um, it's not far from Russia where we played the last game. Okay. Well, it's, it is, but it's in Europe. It's the same continent. It's fine. Never heard uh, of it. Do you know where the USA is? No, never heard of it. All right, okay. Do you want some more facts no, about Andorin in Russia? Nope. Oh, okay, fine. It's fine. They've got a flag, you know. Oh. God, Sam Lana will be overexcited. We've had stats and flags in the last 10 minutes. And now his Twitter notifications will go mental as well. <laughs> oh, I can give you the average humidity Don't. per month. Stop. No one wants to listen to this. In Russia. Whew, fair point. Fair point. Okay, should we call it? Yeah, let's call it. Should we go home? Let's go home. All right, grand. I hope we have a nice day. Um, you. especially you Chad Plato yeah. and I will and see Bradley, you happy next birthday, time man. happy yeah. birthday to Michael Bradley and I will see you next time for Italy against the USA goodbye have you ever googled your own name prepare for a shock because your personal info including addresses and phone numbers is all out there it's all harvested by data brokers and sold legally Aura is a personal digital security service that scans the internet for your sensitive information and provides a full suite of privacy-enhancing tools. For a limited time, Aura is offering listeners a 14-day free trial at Aura.com slash safety. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash safety to learn more and activate the 14-day trial period.